Welcome to the Jed Break Spread Podcast. My name is Jonathan Edwards. My nickname Jed was given to me about 15 years ago by an old boss, and it just kind of stuck. I hope you enjoy today's lesson as we discuss God's truth and how to put it into practice in your life. Well, today I want to deal with a subject that I have mentioned uh, previous times on the podcast, but I've never really taken the time to flesh out an answer. And you could probably go and find a lot of answers online if you do a Google search. But I want to communicate to you uh, my answer from a biblical perspective about a certain issue, a certain topic that I think is relevant to all Christians and very critical for Christians to understand and realize about themselves. And the topic I'm talking about is worldview. What is a worldview? What is a biblical worldview? And how do you cultivate or develop a biblical worldview? So let me begin by asking you a question. Why do you eat the food that you eat? Why do you eat the food that you eat? I would say, in my experience with people, every single person has a worldview concerning food that they eat. So your worldview of food, your worldview of food, your food view, the things that you eat, is influenced by the culture that you live in, It's influenced by the advertisements that you see. It's influenced by your personal belief system about where our food comes from, what is healthy. It is also shaped by your personal goals. Your why of why you eat different types of food or certain types of food is shaped by all of those various influences. And all of those influences work together in your mind to cultivate a food view, really a worldview of food. And this is not to say that certain foods are good for you or bad for you, but we assign moral terms like good and bad to the foods we eat based upon our worldview of food. Now, I have personally read scientific studies that have shown people are able to lose weight eating a junk food diet. You know, if you only eat a thousand calories a day of chips and donuts, uh, you can lose weight because weight loss involves calorie deficit. Now, I'm not sure that anybody would tell you that eating chips and donuts for weight loss is a healthy way to go about it, but it's achievable. It's achievable because of the math. The math of weight loss says that if you eat fewer calories than you expend, you will lose weight because your body will look to the fat reserves to make up the difference in calories that you need for energy expenditure. That doesn't mean that eating donuts and Doritos is a great idea as a staple diet. It's possible, it's not practical. And if you surveyed 100 people, I'm sure that a large percentage, probably in the 90s, would say, yeah, Doritos and donuts is just not a, not a great way of eating all the time. 
And so our worldview, what we think about food, has caused us to assign moral labels to the food. This food is good for you. This food is bad for you. What if it was possible for a person to eat more calories than necessary of healthy foods? So like, let's say salads, uh, grilled chicken. Let's say you could eat 3,000 calories of salads and grilled chicken every day. And you're like, man, I'm eating all these healthy foods, but I keep gaining weight. Well, because it's a math issue. You're eating more calories than you need, even though the calories are healthy calories. So you can see, and that's not to say that gaining weight or food, it's not one way or the other. It's neither here nor there. All it is is a good example to show that we all have a worldview about something that we deal with every day, namely food. And that leads us into this, the definition of worldview, a big picture system of thought that allows every individual to interpret the events of life and to draw conclusions about how to respond to those events. Think about that. A worldview is a big picture system of thought that allows you, the individual, to interpret the events of life and draw conclusions about how to respond to those events. Now, this sounds complicated, but it is often done subconsciously. Most people don't think about their worldview. Most people don't reflect on their worldview. Most people don't seek to alter their worldview, nor are they aware of the forces that alter a person's worldview. So let's take a look at some examples of worldviews, major overarching worldviews. It's really easy in politics to see that there are liberals, there's a liberal worldview, and there is a conservative worldview. You can be a capitalist or a Marxist or a socialist. Those are worldviews and they are competing worldviews. Why? Because the foundational principles of the worldviews cannot mix with one another. That's why they're competing worldviews. The foundational views of capitalism, the principles that capitalism is built on, cannot coexist with the principles that Marxism is built on. These are worldviews. And so when you hear somebody in the media or in your life talk about capitalism or Marxism or liberal or conservative, these are just worldly examples. When you hear somebody talk about those things, you know they're talking about a worldview. And when you hear that term, it indicates that every person who says, I'm a capitalist, has the same foundational principles that they believe to be true about life. Now, often, now what often happens is that people are inconsistent in their worldviews, and so they blend elements of different worldviews together to cultivate a personal worldview that works for them. And you can see this inconsistency in people who are environmentalists, just for example. They believe that it is sinful or wrong, it's morally reprehensible to kill animals and plants. Yet, 
they have no problem with the killing of unborn human life in the process called abortion. Now, that's not to say all of them are that way. I'm sure, I'm sure there are some who are consistent out there, but as a general trend, that is true. People who are environmentalists and have that certain persuasion believe that the killing of animals is wrong, but it's okay to kill a human being as long as that's inside the mother's womb because it's still the mother's choice to do that. So that's a huge inconsistency in that particular worldview. And, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time discussing the rightness or the wrongness of different worldviews, but what I really want to do is talk about the shaping forces and the way to cultivate a biblical worldview. When we look at how does a person get a worldview, the number one shaping force of every individual's worldview is the sin nature that they are born with. Okay, every individual is born with a sin nature thanks to our father Adam, who sinned in the garden, and because of his sin, the curse of sin extended to all his offspring. The curse of sin extended to all creation. And so the entire created world, as well as all the human beings who live in the world, are under the curse of sin. And for humans, that means you're born with a sin nature. So the idea that's popular in culture today, that everybody is born basically good, is a lie, according to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Paul is teaching here that Adam's sin, by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, brought sin into the created world. And death was the result of that sin. Now, Adam didn't die right away physically. He died spiritually right away. But he didn't physically die right away. But the evidence that every single person who has lived after Adam is a sinner is found in the fact that every single person after Adam minus two have died. The two that haven't died would be Enoch, who walked with God and God took him, and Elijah, whom God transported supernaturally to heaven. So therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So you know that every single person is a sinner because they will die. Death will find them. Everyone is a sinner. And so the sin nature that we are born with is the number one shaping force for people's worldviews. The reality of the sin nature is this. Man does not seek for God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks after God. There is no one who does good. I think I quoted that out of order, but that's Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. The result of having a sin nature is that you do not seek after God. And so your worldview starts out with a perspective towards God that is antagonistic. You're not looking to appease the Creator. 
You're looking for ways to spurn and reject the Creator. And how do you know this is true? How do you know this is true? Well, a few verses previous in Romans chapter 5, Paul says this, One will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die, much more than, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Christ died for those who were ungodly. Christ died for his enemies. That's a powerful, powerful truth. That no one seeks God, but Christ died for those who were ungodly. Christ died for those who were his enemies. Thus, the first shaping force is the sin nature that every person is born with. The second the second shaping force in worldviews is Satan himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul identifies that Satan is the God of this world and that he blinds the minds of the unbelieving. Satan, in another passage, is described by Paul as appearing as an angel of light so as to deceive even the elect. And Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Satan's influence was marvelously captured by the author C.S. Lewis in the book The Screwtape Letters when the older demon is instructing the younger demon on how to influence humanity, in particular one man, against God and for the kingdom of darkness. Satan is a major shaping force in the worldviews. But finally, we come to a shaping force in worldviews that is not of the sin nature. It's not fallen. It's not from Satan, but it is from God. And so the third major shaping force in worldviews is the person of Jesus Christ. I just mentioned a few moments ago that he died for those who were ungodly. He rescued us from certain eternal condemnation. And he reconciled us to God so that we might live according to, to God and not according to our own desires. According to Romans chapter 6, when somebody believes in Jesus Christ, a radical change occurs in that person. The old man dies. So the old nature, the sin nature, it dies. It's completely done, done away with. And you become a new creature in Christ, and the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. The death of the old man and the birth of the new man is what Jesus described to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. In that passage, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Not physically born again, but you must be born spiritually into God's family, adopted as a son and an heir through Jesus Christ. So at your conversion, something amazing happens. The person who was blind to spiritual truth and the things of God suddenly has their eyes opened 
and they are able to understand God's truth as revealed in the Bible in a way that they never were able to do so before. This process of change brings us to an important crossroads. What happens to the person's worldview when they are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? What happens to the worldview? Is it automatically reprogrammed? Is it automatically changed? Does becoming a Christian automatically give you a Christian, quote-unquote, worldview? And the answer to that, of course, is no. We don't automatically change the way we think. It's not like a light switch flips on and you all of a sudden learn and think in a way that you had never known before. What does happen is a light switch flips on and you are enabled to think in a way that you never thought before. You see, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the natural man, that is the man who is unsaved, is unable to comprehend the truth of the scriptures. But the spiritual man can understand and apprise and practice all that the scriptures have to say. And so the light switch is flipped on for you to be able to begin practicing and begin learning the truth in a way that you never did before. Now, one caution I will give is that just because you are a Christian or just because you grew up in a Christian household, maybe you had Christian parents, maybe you've attended church all your life, just because you are a Christian doesn't make all the elements of your worldview biblical. There are numerous Christian books and radio programs and preachers and churches and songs that contain secular ideas that have been blended with Bible truths and it leads Christians to believe that their worldview is biblical when it really may not be. There's a name for this phenomenon. It's called syncretism. And syncretism is the blending of multiple religious traditions together to create one unique religious tradition that you practice. And so we apply that to worldview, to a Christian's worldview, by saying many Christians have a syncretistic worldview. They have not fully eradicated all the elements of their unbiblical pre-Christian or pre-biblical worldview, but they have added truths from the Bible to their worldview. And I would say that Christians fail primarily in their worldview because instead of diligent study and serious reformation of the heart and the mind, Christians rely too much upon tradition, popular opinion, and peer pressure from other Christians to guide their formation of the worldview. You know, a worldview, if you're going to cultivate it correctly, a worldview must be constantly challenged and rewritten to become more accurate 
and in line, or let's say it this way, in conformity with the Word of God. If you are a Christian and you're thinking, man, I've got everything figured out. I know what to think about this issue and what to think about that issue and how I should approach this person and and here's what I'm going to do about this type of music and we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that. If you think that you have it all figured out because of your tradition or because your church told you so or because that's what all your friends do or popular opinion— You have not developed a true biblical worldview. What you have done is you have syncretized many worldviews into one, and you're calling it biblical. And I think that's the real challenge for the believer. How do I get to a biblical worldview? And clearly, if you want a biblical worldview, the obvious place to start is in understanding and knowing the scriptures understanding and knowing the scriptures. Let me read to you a moment what Paul writes about the power and the authority of the scriptures. This is 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 verses that you are probably familiar with, but listen to what it says. Listen afresh. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, let's think about this for one moment. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Let's take an example of how Christians say they believe this verse, but sometimes they fall short. I've known Christians in my day, and I don't want to disparage anybody. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But I'm just telling you in my experience, I've known people who have made arguments similar to this one that I'm about to make. And so it's, it's no reflection against anybody, but it's really a, a challenge to each of us to uh, seek the truth better and to apply it more consistently in our life. I I have had Christians tell me that uh, drums used in a worship service is dishonoring to God and is sinful. And so when I take them to the Psalms and show them that in Psalm 150, it says, praise the Lord with every instrument, and it goes and lists guitars, and, and really it lists tambourines and drums and all kinds of stringed instruments, In the scripture, it says, use percussion instruments to praise the Lord. And you're telling me here that I can't use a percussion instrument to praise the Lord. What's correct? Well, all scripture, if it's inspired by God and profitable for teaching, means that the scriptures are correct and our worldview must change. Now, that's one small example. But if you repeat that a hundred times, and you can go to the word of God and Show yourself that what you think is honoring to God is not really in the scriptures, then you should be willing to correct your own interpretation of the scriptures and to change your application of that. Now, you may say, Well, I just don't prefer drums in my worship service. Well, that's legitimate. If you don't prefer it, fine. You don't have to have the same preference as I do. But if you don't prefer something and you say, That's sin but the Bible says it's okay, 
your worldview must change. The way that you have interpreted the Word of God is off base, and the way you're applying it is off base. That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about when we talk about cultivating a biblical worldview. This requires a great deal of serious self-examination, asking yourself hard questions. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, there is a process that everybody goes through, and we're all going through the process continually. If you think you're done with the process, then you're fooling yourself. Romans chapter 12, uh, you probably know these verses. You've probably heard them a, a hundred times, if not more. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God was, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you understand what Paul is talking about here? He's talking about, look, if you know theology, if you know the truth, if you have been transformed to become a child of God, a son in God's kingdom, then you have a responsibility to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the purpose of you being transformed in the renewing of your mind is so that you can present your body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, suitable for service, which is worship. How does that transformation happen? Well, the Greek term used here, well-known, is metamorphosis. Obviously, that's the process that caterpillars go through to become a butterfly. It means totally and radically transformed so that the final product doesn't look anything like the beginning product. Now, you are always going to look like you. But in your mind, you shouldn't always think like the old you. You should be thinking more like Jesus now than you did when you first got saved. Day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, as you study the Word of God, this transforming, this transformation, this metamorphosis ought to erase improper attitudes, improper perceptions about life, improper worldviews. It should be erasing the bad worldviews and implanting the biblical worldviews. And I don't think our conversation about worldview would be complete if we didn't talk about, well, how do you study the Bible effectively or thoroughly? I'm not going to take all the time necessary to lay out a proper hermeneutic, but I will say this. Uh, hermeneutic is that word that scholars use that talks about the process of biblical interpretation. But here's what I will say. Your hermeneutic, the way you look at the scriptures, should be literal, grammatical, and historical. And it should seek to interpret the scriptures in their context. So there's a local context, there's a near context, and there's an overarching context to every given passage. That hermeneutical principle, that method of Bible study, will produce a certain interpretation of scripture that is, I believe, accurate to what God has revealed 
to mankind for this particular time in which we live. And I think that particular method of interpretation would have been used by Jesus, would have been used by the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Daniel, King David. When you look at the scriptures, the testimony of the authors themselves is that they read the Bible and they believed the words that were written. So, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You don't find King David saying, well, I really think that that was just a mythology for our people. Now, he was, they were just trying to describe where everything came from. God didn't really do it. God didn't really do it. There was another process there. No, King David read Genesis 1.1 and he was like, wow, God put us here. That's mighty. That's awesome. This is a God worth serving, the God who spoke everything into existence. What did Jesus say about the same event? When the Pharisees came to him and asked him about marriage, he says, what did God do when he created them? He created them male and female with the purpose that a man would have a wife for his whole life. Yeah, it's straightforward. It's literal interpretation of the scripture. The words mean what they say. Now that allows for figure, the use of figurative language, uh, which would include hyperbole or analogy a metaphor, simile, all of those wonderful English terms. But if you want to cultivate a biblical worldview, you must start with a literal interpretation of Scripture. So you start reading and studying the Scripture. You start examining the way that you think about life, and then you start rewriting your brain processes, rewriting the ways that you think about life. Christians are to renew their minds, and that requires the diligent study of God's Word. Paul is very clear about this issue. The only way that a person's worldview can be changed is by examining and critiquing the way that you used to think and replacing it with the way that you should think. This takes an incredible amount of work, and in our culture today, many Christians don't put in the necessary work to cultivate a biblical worldview. Many non-Christians don't put in the necessary work to examine and critique their own worldviews to see if what they're saying makes sense according to the foundational principles they say control their life. The truly sad reality is that we live in an age where information is at our fingertips, but we're so distracted by non-information. I mean, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, there's a lot of non-information on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There's a lot of non-information on YouTube There's a lot of non-information on so-called news sites like Fox News and CNN and other places. We live in an age of incredible access to information, and yet we spend the majority of our time absorbing non-information, getting caught up in fantasies and stories and alternate universes that don't even exist and don't really have anything to do with our lives. 
Christians think that we'll change by osmosis. You know, if I go and listen to a good sermon, if I attend this Bible study, man, that'll that'll cause me to change. No, you've got to put in the work necessary. You've got to put in the work necessary. And you've got to believe that Christ is the firm foundation. Christ is the firm foundation. You can't go back to the old ways of thinking. You can't go back to looking at life from an unbeliever's perspective. You have to have Christ as your foundation, and you have to press forwards to know who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what he is doing now. And not only that, how does he want you to live? How does he want you to think? If you're going to cultivate a biblical worldview, I would say there's one more text I want to refer you to. Actually, there's a lot of texts I could refer you to. But there's one more text that I think is really critical in helping you understand or helping us understand the importance of worldview and the amount of work that it takes. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you grasp the magnitude of what Paul is saying here? Paul's saying, look, there is a war that is going on around you, a battlefield. You cannot escape the battlefield. We walk in the flesh, but we do not fight the battle, the war, according to the flesh. That means using fleshly instruments like guns and knives or swords or shields or tanks or bombs. We don't use fleshly means to fight this war. But the war that we are in is real, and the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful. What is the most divinely powerful weapon that you own? It's the Bible. The Word of God. It is the most powerful weapon you own. For in it, God, who created the whole world and all the universe, and you and I, God has revealed himself to mankind. God has indicated what it takes to live a life that is pleasing to him. God has indicated in that book what will happen if you reject him and go your own way. The Bible is the divinely powerful weapon that we use to counteract the worldview of Satan. What is, how does Paul say he uses the word of God? We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And how how is he doing that? We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you really want to change your worldview? Then here's what you're going to do. You're going to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Is Satan putting sinful thoughts in your mind? telling you you're worthless, a loser, 
telling you to be anxious over things that you ought not to be anxious for, take those thoughts captive. Don't let Satan win the battle of the mind. By doing this over and over and over and over again, you will not only have your faith reassured and your hope in Christ strengthened and your confidence in God renewed and restored, but you will change and transform your worldview so that you will think accurately about yourself, about Satan, about the situations that you face in life. You must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I go back to the food illustration I used at the beginning. Do you really want to change your diet? Make changes in your life? Lose weight? Feel better? Then you've got to change your food worldview. Foods that you used to consider good will now be bad. And foods that were bad, like broccoli, will now be good. And that's the exact same thing that you got to do when it comes to a biblical worldview. The things that you used to think were good will now become bad. And the things that the Bible reveals to be good, those will be true. Those will be the most good. They will provide the foundation for everything that you think, everything that you speak, and ultimately lay a foundation for how you behave. For out of what you know and believe in your heart, and as we have discussed multiple times, the heart is the wellspring of life. And we all live out of those thoughts and ideas that are in our heart. Hey, thanks for your support for the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My podcast is being produced by S. Lore Productions. You can check them out on Facebook. That's S. Lore, L-O-H-R Productions. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can check us out on the web at www.gbchapel.org. Thanks so much for your time today. God bless.